Welcome to the Top Order Podcast. Guys, it's the end of the IPL 16. We're going to talk all things the final. Went into three days, which is longer than some test matches in India with these spinning wickets. We're also going to talk about England, Ireland's test preparation as well. Little folks and tong. It sounds a little bit like a law firm, but we'll be going into all the debate around the preview of the first test of the English summer. All coming up on the Top Order Podcast. Stay tuned. Well, boys, <laughs> um, what you won't see off camera is, uh, yes, yeah, some, uh, yeah, some non-verbal cues as to when the music has been queued up correctly, hopefully. Um, that's all worked smoothly on the roadcaster. But guys, we are at the end of IPL 16, aren't we? Um, it's been a mammoth 74-game tournament. Um, I think in terms of our predictions, um, look, I'm going to claim myself. I got it exactly right coming into finals week. So um, no spoilers really on this at all. You know, we've got, uh, I guess, a scenario where we've got uh, Gujarat and uh, CSK um, played each other in, look, the dominator, the eliminator, something like that. CSK obviously went straight through. Gujarat played Mumbai Indians. And then the final was a repeat, not only of that first game of the final series, but also the first game of the tournament as yep. well. So mm-hmm. defending champions, Gujarat Titans. And look, we'll talk about it in, in a lot of detail, but I, I know you're going to want to bring the New Zealand element in. So let's get that out the way first. And then, then we'll talk about, I guess, the final in a little bit more detail. And then the tournament as a whole as well. Do you mean who was man of the match? Is that what you mean? Well, if, if you look at any top order social media, it, it, you know, it looks as if New Zealand cricket have masterminded <laughs> this victory. But Lippy, I'll, I'll leave you to kind of go into that, I think. Well, I think that's correct, isn't it? New Zealand won the, won the IPL. The IPL. We, we, we've clocked the IPL now. We've done it before, but we've, we've just done it again. I mean, I actually kind of want to start. I mean, I think we'll have plenty of chances to actually bring up New Zealand. There are quite a lot of New Zealand connections in this final. But uh, did you guys, like, I got really really engaged in that final I mean it, it helped that the ICC or the BCCI I suppose finally kind of connected and manufactured the game so that it was on at a perfect time New Zealand time I sort of my usual ritual was to kind of wake up in the morning check the the scores of the IPL and I, when I went and checked and it was 6am in the morning and suddenly Chennai is about to go in and bat and I was like brilliant I'm up I'm in and then just got totally gripped and like this is a this is a tournament I think that we have kind of, you know, been relatively critical of at times. It's a tournament that I think as New Zealand fans, you're not that connected to. I, I'm a guy that probably follows players rather than teams, which is not my usual style of supporting as a fan. But, you know, I, I got totally engaged in this just as a sporting spectacle and, and how good it was to watch. And, you know, by the end, there was there was real emotion like this is this was an awesome awesome game and, and a great way to finish a great tournament yeah look no, no arguments for me i think on the on the tournament as a whole i think we'll talk a little bit about the final in, in detail but look i think whatever we think about cricket and i'm sure we're going to discuss it as we lead into that england island test match and the impact that you know white ball cricket is having on on test cricket as well um, the one thing for sure is the IPL is here to stay. We, you know, we're 16 editions in. It's expanding in terms of its teams over the course of the last couple of years. It's expanding in terms of its reach with franchise owners owning, you know, franchises in other tournaments around the world as well. Mm. But look, I've got to say, I think, you know, we, we've obviously covered this for the last, you know, 
you know four years or so on the podcast haven't we in terms of the the IPL but this is probably the first one that personally I've really been been gripped by yeah um you look and I don't know why that why that is whether I've just been slow to come around to it um a little bit like I've just got into succession I, I believe that may have finished um, so please don't put any spoilers in in the comments but a little bit of a late review the IPL is pretty good yeah Raj I, I'm all teed up to talk about New Zealand, but no, so it was it was a great final. Like you, unfortunately for me, it was at the wrong time. Uh, mm. I had to you know roll out to a few meetings in the morning, but I was checking it constantly. Um, the main features for me is what you actually have written down here on your sheet around you know what the Duckworth Lewis impact was on that game, the timings of when it finished. Yeah. I'm a massive fan of playing cricket at 2am in the morning. Yeah. Um, so I, I actually thought it was a great spectacle. And the point that you made there... Feel around, free to bring your own prep up no, if you the, want. The, the point that you made around expanding, Yeah. it's really incredible to see a tournament or a, you know, a competition that hasn't actually lost quality mm. when they have expanded those teams. I think the competition's only getting better and better. And that just shows the strength of Indian cricket at probably the lower levels as well. Yeah, absolutely. Wasn't it amazing that it was on at one thirty in the morning? Like, I just thought, think to you know New Zealand here, and like, there's no way that it happened at Eden Park. There's no like, you know, you think about all the things that are going on there, and you can't have your lights on after this time, and all the noise, and like, yeah. just fantastic that it that it carried on that time. And I think you have to actually give the organisers like quite a bit of credit to say. You know, seventy five thousand people. They stayed there till one thirty yeah. in the morning. That shows you how big that tournament is. Look, let's come on to that in a little bit of detail. I saw a couple of quotes from the umpire. So I think Rod Tucker was one of them, and Nitin Men on the other. And Rod Tucker, I think, was looking at the playing conditions when he got asked in the rain delay, and he's like, you know, we've got set till so and so to finish the game, and rah rah rah. Nitin Men and just said, you know, we'll get as much cricket in as we can. Um, we'll give them as long as they, you know, they need to kind of mop up. But I did raise this on the Slack channel, and it was mainly directed at, you know. At our um, head of algorithms but Baldy <laughs> but um, let, let's talk a little bit about the Duckworth Lewis and let's talk a little bit about the finish time so the, mm. the, the game finished I think about 20 to 2 um, so there's an argument that if it's finishing at 20 to 2 why could it not just drag on another 20 minutes until 2 o'clock and actually go the full mm. the full distance in terms of the the Duckworth Lewis Stern so you know let's we all forget uh, Mr Stern don't we so uh, let, let's give the, the its full title 214 off 20 overs uh, Gujarat. So that my, my math tells me that's a run rate of about 10.7. CSK won it 170 off 15 overs. So run rate of 11.4 uh, was required. But when they went off for that round break, they had all of their resources in terms of, you know, 10 wickets plus an impact player. Um, and I think arguably, and, and look, this is probably the debate and the, the piece around the mathematics that I'd like to get your views on. I always think having an impact batter in that situation. We saw Josh Little come in, I think, as the impact bowler. Mm. Um, he went for, um, I think, 30 runs in his two overs. But um, Shim Dubey came in as the impact batter. And I think when you've got that scenario, if you're not in your top five bowlers, you're not in the side, so you might be named as the impact bowler. And normally it's when things have turned to custard that you might come in as an impact bowler. Mm. As an impact batter, it's kind of like, well, let's keep going we, you know we can go for another five overs here we can go for another three overs here let's bring that you know seventh or eighth finisher in and they may be your second best finisher mm. um so yeah I, I i'm keen to get your view on this border you've had a, you know a day or so to prep mm, this i think plenty of time. yeah yeah uh, but yeah thoughts on the i guess the ramifications of that and, and whether or not it's really yeah really fair I, I don't know whether they'd have chased down 214 off off 20 overs um 
but yeah, you know, can't argue with the with the sheet as it as it stood last night. So there's a couple of interesting things at play here. The Duckworth Lewis Stern algorithm is effectively a, a resource table that says, um, given the number of resources left and the situation in the match and how many runs to get, like what is a par score effectively, and yep. and that use and it uses history to decide that in terms of you know what's gone on before. What's very interesting about the IPL is that the introduction of an impact player skews in either direction, depending on your bias and preference, um, whether or not the team now has more or less resources available to chase down that target. The batting team or the team chasing the target batting have potentially an additional batting resource to add to that, and you would argue that they would often add a top six batter to to that chase if they haven't already done so. And the team bowling can potentially add, if they haven't already, an impact bowler. It depends and remains to be seen whether or not in their 15 they have those resources available to add to the mix. But I would say, not just based on this game, but looking at it kind of stepping back a little bit, that the team batting second has a bit of an advantage there because they have the capacity to add more impactful resources in the batting chase than a bowling team would necessarily add in a bowling chase. For example, it's unlikely that a team would leave as a potential impact player their best or second best bowler, but they may leave out their fifth or sixth best best better, or they may leave out another good finisher. They may leave out a Dre Russell or someone like that and bring them in as an impact player, in which case the batting side has a distinct advantage in this particular situation, which I don't think the DLS system, as it has been written in the past, will have come to terms with that change in resourcing, and and that really does skew the potential chase. I've got another point, but I want to come back to you. Uh, I want to come back to that afterwards to open up to you, Raj. When you mention you mentioned the previous results, it doesn't take into account localized no. results. So, and I guess that's probably where we look at that the system as mm. you know an imperfect system, but the best of a you know a bunch. Yeah. Um, and yeah, you know, chasing two hundred and fourteen and adjusting that score. For you know, somewhere in India versus the MCG, for example, is going to be is going to have bigger impact. Absolutely, and and the the algorithm uses lots of previous results to try and and I'm going to use these terms advisedly average out the impact of venues and due and time of day and opposition and and all the rest of it. Right, so very very big sample data gives skewing towards the mean, if you like, or towards whatever you know measure of average they choose. The other thing that I think is is relevant is there has been a trend in this IPL, and we've talked about it here on the podcast, towards big scores being achieved. And I think, you know, 214 three years ago would have been almost an outlier score, whereas in this IPL it has been, you know, not quite par, but but very close to. So you have to have a think about, and we don't really know the answer, I haven't deep dived into it, but it would be interesting to know when it gets towards those outlier scores, say a team makes 500, how many like pieces of sample data do you have that goes into what constitutes a pass score? There's obviously less games that the team's got 500. But if you have a look at it, like so Gujarat made 214 off their 20 overs. CSK effectively set 170 off 15 overs. Those last five overs, if they had gone the distance, the pass score is only 40 runs off those five overs. Yeah, yeah. In the context of this IPL, that doesn't seem like a lot. I think they were well-placed to chase down 214. I mean, look, obviously everything changes. You, yeah. you chase the target that you're given. I mean, you know, you think back to the um, 2015 World Cup fi- semi-final, you know, when New Zealand, South Africa looked like they are on for an enormous score and, mm-hmm. you know, then New Zealand gets the reduced score. And I'm sure, well, whether they would have gone about it differently, who knows? But I'm, I'm sure just when you bring down the score, I think you, there's more... 
there's more opportunity to get it i think when you know there's more margin for error i think in some ways that you can afford to be eight down or nine down or whatever and you saw that with the csk chase they did certainly like after that rain break from ball one they were just going you know conway hits his second ball for six over cover point guy quad was hitting boundaries straight away and Mm. and they just kept going in that power play and Mm. then it just kept on the momentum but it's still a fantastic chase to, to get that score. Look, there's no, there's no doubt it's a fantastic chase. I, I, I just think that when you put these localised rules in, and, and I guess the big bash would be the same with the, um, you know, the extreme delivery driver or whatever they have they sponsored have some, by some Domino's. X-Factor uh, things, yeah. Yeah, and I, I think you've got to take that into consideration. And, and look, we, we might be sitting here and, and Mr Duckworth Lewis or Stern may well uh, drop into the DMs and say, hey, no, we factored that in and we factored in the due and we factored in um, that this was the first time a game had been played at one thirty-seven in the morning as well. Mm. Um, but I, I don't think that they will have necessarily got, got, um, got that far in terms of those... Um, in terms of those algorithms. But I think it would have been, just before you jump in, Raj, the, the highest chase in an IPL final. If it was. They'd, yeah, if I believe it was. Yeah. yeah, if they'd have pulled it off that 214. Do you think that there is an issue with it? Or are we just asking the question around whether it's accurate? The reason I'm asking this is because, obviously, it was very entertaining. Came down to the last ball. Yeah. Um, I, I think when we look at how quickly, and Bordy made the point around, you know, the 200 probably not being an outlier score anymore. Um, I think we, we have to take that into account. And look, I'm no mathematician, so I don't know how you're necessarily going to do that. But I think what, you, you know, what you're definitely seeing, if you look at you know, the stats from, from this game, Rahani, Ryodu, Ravi Jadeja all struck at over 200, but over a really short period of time. Now, granted, they only had a really short period of time to do that. But if you look at the innings of, of Gujarat, you know, Shubman Gill struck at nearly 200, but over you know, arguably, well, not arguably, more balls. Uh, Sadarsan, you know, again, 204 strike rate over a lot longer period of time. And I just wonder how that's taken into account, um, you know, to give that. It felt for me as if that 170 off 15 was, you know, was a little bit light. Um, but again, that's just, you know, a little bit like the Cricketing Hall of Fame, which will hopefully drop into your feed, you know, very shortly. You know, we're the purveyors of the eye test board. He's the man who actually does the hard work around the, <laughs> around the, the statistics. We've not really talked about Conway. Let's talk about Conway. We can we can do that. I mean, yeah, like like we said last week, we could talk about him for for. Is he the best three format player in the world? <laughs> yeah, I think we might have said that. Ravage you said that at some point. <laughs> a, a, um, I think you did pretty well saying. I think you, your prediction last week was Maybe. Conway getting eighty odd. He didn't get didn't obviously get eighty odd, but he uh, you know player of the match in the final. You've got to extrapolate that over the twenty overs, so it's you know it's pretty close. Exactly. Yeah. What's it? What's another you know twenty five percent on top of that? So yeah, you're right. Not not far off that, but. Honestly, I mean, you're running out of superlatives for this guy. He's he's just done it. I, th- I think the the thing that struck me in that final was just that, that he just looks so composed. And I think mm. that's what's always been so impressive about him is that, yeah, no matter what scenario, what kind of level he steps up to, he just always looks in total control. And, and that innings, like I said, he had a second ball over cover point for six. He, he smoked Josh Little for a massive six over wide long on at one point. And he, he was in complete control. And that's why it was so shocking when he went out, actually. But, you know, he, the ball just kind of stuck in the wicket off Noor Ahmad and he could have just chipped it to, to mid-off and he looked furious with himself. And I'm, I'm sure he was because I think he probably thought, I could get 100 here and just cruise this in. Mm. Kind of interesting, he doesn't feature in the top 10 of the MVP list for the tournament, which 
Uh, what, you know, he's clearly it's in the bizarre, isn't it? Really, it, when it, he's had that good a tournament, I think that might be strike rate. I think, uh, well, I think the MVP stuff, you know, is skewed. Like strike rate gets a, a higher rating a little bit in that. Yeah. That in that, you know, it, it accounts for guys that are finishers who come in the twenty five off nine type. Yeah, of. yeah, yeah, yeah. Whereas. He's he's played. Um, I think he, what was he about fifth? I think in the top run charts. He was third in the run charts. Third, yeah, yeah, third in the run charts. Six hundred and seventy-two at fifty-nine strike rate, one hundred and thirty-nine, which is the same as Coley's. Interestingly, who was, you know, immediately behind him in those in those run run charts. And David Warner actually popping up at eighth in the run charts, although mm. average way down there thirty-six mm. and, and didn't face yeah, didn't face Stuart Broad at all in that IPL. Uh, certainly uh, not. Think, certainly uh, not around the wicket. Back on Conway, I think the, no, 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 we're done. He made a few comments after that about it being the you know the, the best win of his career, and I think that sort of rubbed a few people in here in New Zealand up the wrong way. But the more I thought about it, I feel like that's a legitimate comment. And you know, obviously, he won the World Test Championship, and and that would be special in a lot of different ways. But if you kind of think about what yeah what the IPL I guess has become, and it's a it's a two month kind of long thing, and I think that's why I love. The World Cup because it's a, an extended period of time, so you really do get a tight knit group. You're playing in front of seventy five thousand people at one thirty in the morning. You know it's come down to the last ball. You're stand, you're sitting next to MS Dhoni, like all of these things. Like you know your team goes, your team's up. You're about to win. Then it's ten off two. Then then Jadeja goes six four. Like that would have been an unbelievable mm. moment that mm. he is never f- going to forget for the rest of his yeah. life. And, and yeah, I, I can see why you would feel that. And it's, and it's life changing for him because next time they come to that auction, he's going to get gonna, a massive paycheck. So it's the, it's the best cricket in stag do in the world, isn't it? The IPL. Well, exactly. It, it's, you, I mean, you, you talked about it as being the, like the best win of his career. It's, it's now probably the biggest tournament in the world. Like from a length perspective, now, it's think, longer than, it's longer than the world cup. There's, there's more oh, money in it. It's longer than four World Cups. Yeah. There's more money in it than the World Cup. Easily. The, the, there are 10 teams, all with terrific players in them. Sure, there aren't all of the internationals, but, you know, it, it is a, a, a terrific tournament now. And, you know, it's unbelievable how successful it's been. Now, maybe it's not unbelievable, but it's incredible how successful it's been. And, and it might be the biggest tor- It might be the biggest prize for an individual player in, in world cricket. Give us your thoughts on on Mohit Sharma's over. It was I thought it was actually pretty good up until probably the last three balls. I I think really it's it's GT's bowlers nearly yeah. got them over the line two years in a row. Shami, um, Mohit, and and Rashid top three wicket takers in the tournament. Um, Don't forget Noor Ahmad, who and was Noor fantastic Ahmad, yeah, in that final. That, that spell that he bowled yeah. is going to get forgotten in, in history because they didn't win. But he, that was amazing. What three, two for fifteen or something off his off his three overs. Mm. So I, I don't know the context of this. So yeah, I, I guess we'll talk about that last over. But as a bowler, um, I'm, I'm looking at you. Sorry, Baldy. Yeah, um, <laughs> two balls to go. Twelfth um, man came on to the field and and slowed things down for you know, a minute, 90 seconds, something like that. The guys just delivered four spot-on Yorkers and then obviously has gone for that, you know, fifth, yeah, fifth Yorker. Which was pretty much spot-on as well. Which was pretty much spot step back and hit that for... Like, but, that's an amazing shot. Mm. So I think, you know, sometimes we don't give credit to the batters because it has become a real batsman's game. But I'm just interested from a bowling perspective whether that was the right call to actually slow it down there 
when you've actually got four, you know, four balls in for three runs scored, I think at that point, there was one dot ball and three singles. Um, and then to slow it down and maybe just let Ravi take a take a little bit of a breath. What what would you have wanted as a bowler in that situation? Personally, probably I would have wanted to just keep going. Yeah, now that you say it, I was sort of someone who definitely got in a rhythm and just wanted to keep going. I, you know, when I was bowling well, I'd bowl my overs quickly and you're sort of almost bowling them without thinking, although you obviously are thinking about different things. But mm. it, it's happening without you even, without you stopping to think about it. And when you start thinking about mm. it is when you start thinking about what can go wrong yeah, as well mm-hmm. in those situations but on the like i've seen a quite a, there's quite a lot of comment you know people putting their two cents in about what happened you know the way he bowled that over because i don't really think you could bowl six yorkers better than what mm. he did in terms of actually delivering last ball wasn't good but the, the yeah. other five and if you think about when someone tries to bowl six balls six yorkers they never hit all six. Like it's actually, people just don't do it. The the comments that I've seen have more been around. I think Jimmy Nisham. I saw him send a tweet yeah. that basically said, like, this is why it's not as simple as just run in and bowl, bowl your six yorkers. Yeah. You have to actually mix it up. And you know, a lot of people were talking about, you know, he had the he's got the slower ball out of the back of his hand and how difficult that is to pick and how and predict. And if you are just bowling six yorkers you can get in a rhythm and that's what I guess Jadeja did and smash those two over the fence Shami in that, that penultimate over I think he only let in about eight in that, yeah. in that uh, 19th over I think really set it up well and I actually really feel for that last ball because it's not one of those ones like the ball before that was just absolutely went exactly where Jadeja wanted that to go it's one of those ones that's nipped around the corner and just beats the short yeah, third fine, man fine leg off yeah. yeah it was a horrible feeling I can imagine yeah um, yeah, look, never been in that, never been in that position, Baldy. You know, you're the other bowler at the table. Anything you want to add? I don't know. I don't know. Like, I, I if I was a bowler, but then again, no. And be, <laughs> thank you very much. Or a man. <laughs> um, I think I'd want to pause before that last ball because I would, if if I was clear in my mind about what I was doing, I would want the batsman thinking all those same potentially negative thoughts about what I'm thinking. Is he gonna yep. bo- is he gonna bowl the same thing? Is he gonna bluff? Is he gonna double bluff? Where am I gonna hit it? The, I guess the longer you think, the more the batsman has time to plan and look at the field and go, if okay, if it's short, I'm going to go here. And if it's full, I'm going to go here. And they p- get to pick their plan. But I, I, I think back to Shane Warne quite a bit when in these kinds of situations. He would slow the game down he'd make the batsman think he'd make him think double he'd make him think triple you know he'd talk to the wicketkeeper about what they were going to have for dinner that night you know he would just play those mind yeah. games and I just wonder if you have to play the mind game that makes you more confident and if the mind game that's making Stu more confident is to go bang 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 then that's the game that you should play mm. and you know every bowler should know when they get to that level what the mind game is or what the thing that is that they're going to do in that scenario for me I'd slow it right down I know exactly what you would have done you would have run up on that last ball and just pulled out last minute given the non-striker some words about staying in his crease exactly <laughs> and then gone back and do it all again so, exactly oh, don't go early that's my that's my that's my message <laughs> <laughs> I, I did think it was pretty awesome that uh, Hardik Pandya, you know, the way he sort of reacted to that mm. and, and certainly the way he went over to Mohit and, yeah. you mm-hmm. know, like I, I think 
the way he's carried himself once again this year. He's a good leader. Oh, he's a really good leader. India needs to get him as their white ball leader sooner rather than later. I think, I think that's what the rumblings are that mm-hmm. he's going to be the. White and he, ball and he's quite he's quite forward. gracious in defeat too. He, he was clearly he mm. doesn't like losing, and that's fine. But he was quite gracious and quite effusive in his praise for MS Dhoni and his position in the game, and you know. You, you kind of get to see who people are in those kind of situations and, and what they're kind of made of. And I was really impressed with the things that Hardik said and the way that he carried himself after what was a, a nail-biting and, and ultimately very deflating defeat at the last moment. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, like I said, I, th- I think he needs to be elevated pretty soon. Mm-hmm. And, I, I mean, would agree. You Talking about leadership, we've got to, what, 25 minutes and we haven't talked about Donny. I mean, it was the perfect... It was scripted perfectly, wasn't it? He walked walks out to bat. He needs... They need whatever it was, 25 or something to win when he comes out and everybody in the, the world watching that game is probably going, okay, he's cool. Gonna bring this he's going to hit yep. this... He's going to hit the winning runs and then he's going to walk off in a blaze of glory and all this kind of stuff. And he gets out first ball and it just doesn't happen. But obviously then they win and, you know, he's he's got his arms around. You know, it wasn't quite the Fleming, Dhoni, Conway, Hugathon that I thought it might be, but he's hugging Ravi Jadeja with tears in his eyes and there's been some awesome yeah. footage. I mean, and then he comes out afterwards and sort of says, you know, I might, I might go around it for another year. I mean, it, it sort of started me thinking, where is Dhoni in like the pantheon of Indian cricketers? Because I think when we did your, you know, when we're doing the Hall of Fame, he was quite low down from memory as, as a test cricketer. As a test cricketer, and obviously, you know, maybe white ball would be better. But even mm. when you look at his stats, he's not in, not really in the ballpark of some of the the great players that they've had. But it feels like he's so revered. Like he's a, again. I mean, we, we've known this for a while. This is not revelatory stuff. But mm. like, every time you see him. I mean, Sonal Gavaska and Deepak Chahar, like his teammates, and Sonny Gavaska, who is like one of those people who'd be on the Rushmore of of Indian cricketers, they're going up to Emmy Stoney after that game and getting his autograph. It's like, like imagine if I just came and got your autographs after the podcast. It's like well, we're you, teammates. You, you, what you, is going on to, here? But yeah, yeah, well, yeah. Um, I think he's just got that gravitas, hasn't he? He's got something about him as a, as a leader. I think regardless of his own, you know, his own results, I think one of the things about that drilling that ball to cover is it just shows that, you know, he's human and he doesn't write his own scripts <laughs> yeah. all of the time because, uh, you know, there was that expectation that that was tailor-made for him to come in and, you know, biff a few sixes, walk off with his 100-year-old pads and, and kind of... <laughs> um, I wonder whether he would have gone round again then if he'd have, uh, yeah, if he'd have kind of hit those winning runs. It'd be hard probably to let the emotions of that um, mm. not sort of go, do you know what, that's that's it. But I guess if he's fit enough, and from a keeping perspective... Um, oh, you'd have been frothing about that stumping. Well, so this is the thing, and look, I don't want to go into technique <laughs> for, for too long, but could talk about it all day. The, the way that, you know, the, the technique that he's now got, which is that you don't actually give a lot with the, with the hands. So it used to be always, you know, your length of catch and um, give with your hands and then bring the ball back to the stumps. He has now, you know, almost pioneered this really, really hard. Um, your hands stay on a line that are, you know, literally six inches from the stumps, and it's about getting that extra split second. And I've seen a uh, an Instagram clip today. It took point one seconds oh, for him to take off. the bales off. <laughs> so fast. Point one seconds, and there was a huge wicket as well. Um, <laughs> and I think what won't you know, and I'm just going to geek a little bit because if you'd have bowled someone through the gate, you guys would be talking about it for four <laughs> weeks. So I'm going to have a minute on this. 
fair and enough. I, I, I if did, MS Stoney had bowled someone through the gate, we might have been talking about it for longer than yeah, four weeks. But I, I think what you know, what's really, really impressive is that he's still obviously working so hard on his on his technique because um, if you look at the position he gets himself into, again, it's it's a it's a minor thing. But as a keeper, as a kid, you're always told to stay down as long as you can and only come up after the ball has pitched. And I think a combination of the fact that he's probably a little bit older and the hamstrings might you know give him a bit of bit of jip and um, but also he's now actually using his experiences using the fact the wickets are probably pretty good he's actually in position earlier he's predicting the bounce before it bounces and that's what allows him to get into that position to, to affect some of those rapid stumpings this one had been out anyway right um but there's been others throughout the course of the tournament where the speed of his hands mm. it is just absolutely something to behold he, he's still you know i think as a as a keeper he's underrated in the pantheon of, of, of world world uh, wicket keepers going back to the that pantheon leading back to that i think it's hard with india because there's so many uh, you know individual cricketers who have you know scaled the heights of, of numbers when you look at numbers um to to sort of judge where he sits on the pantheon but mm. you look at how you know the indian teams of the late 90s early 2000s had all those superstars but they just couldn't corral them all into one sort of direction mm-hmm. um MS Dhoni was able to not only do that but set them up for success through that you know 2010s phase yeah. handing it over he handed over a, a team that was focused on that one goal winning away from home mm-hmm. to Virat Kohli and Ravi Shastri mm-hmm. and it really allowed them to dominate overseas I I would love for him to retire now very few people get to write a script where they finish with a like a really big moment in a final where they get to go out and win a tournament very very few athletes get to go out on on that level of a, of a high very few athletes get to achieve that level of success of winning a major tournament a world cup a championship a world test championship final whatever whatever you want to you know draw the the parallel to he has got this now whatever they won six titles csk now something like that they've they've won a lot and he's been you know instrumental to a to a good portion of those wins i i would love to see him go out on just this massive high and, and the legacy being that that you know don't Donny walks out at the, at the very top of the of the game of cricket i'll, um, tell, I'll tell you what he says to that because that the people have said the, the exact same thing and he said circumstantially this is the best time to announce my retirement but mm. the amount of love i have received all over the easy thing would be to walk away from here but the harder thing would be to work hard for nine months and try and play another IPL. Isn't that a, isn't that a terrific response from that a was terrific awesome. leader? And I you know, that. You, you, we talked about like analogies for for players and stuff. And the more that I see of MS Stoney, the more that he reminds me of someone like Bill Russell. You know, not statistically the greatest player who's ever played basketball, but if you measure success by winning, Bill Russell and MS Stoney have won just about everything there is to win in in the sport. And they've carried themselves with such a plum and, and and such you know in New Zealand mana gravitas whatever you want to call it, he is so well respected and revered because he is a leader who leads by example and he's humble and players play for him. Previous Indian sides haven't. Yeah. This Indian side does, and they play for Kohli and they play for Rohit. But 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 first and foremost, like the, the genesis of that was playing for MS Stoney Raj, and you're, you're absolutely right, An incredible cricketer and like. His impact when people look back in a hundred years' time at his at his batting stats, they will belie the fact that he was such a terrific leader and he just made everyone around him better, you know? It made him far, far better than they otherwise would have been. And Bill Russell wouldn't have taken that stumping either. But, um, <laughs> long way down for him to reach. <laughs> have we got anything else on, on the IPL before we move on? Well, I, I wouldn't mind talking about Stephen Fleming just for a little bit because 
I mean, basically, I wa- you watch that. You watch him. I mean, you watch him coach in, in any at any level. You listen to him on commentary, and you, as a New Zealand fan, you think, "Please, can you be involved in New Zealand cricket somehow?" Mm. H- how do we how do we do that? Like honestly, because he's got such a good gig at CSK. He comes out comes home, does the commentary. He probably gets paid more than New Zealand cricket can offer him just to work for that. Well, now it's two months or whatever it is. I'm sure he does a lot of work for them outside of those times at the games. But how how on earth can New Zealand cricket make it appealing for him to to start moving into some sort of international coaching and get the benefit of all the experience that he's had coaching players like MS Dhoni, working with people like Mike Hussey, all the cricket that he's played around the world and working at, at, in those high-pressure environments. I mean, I feel like, you know, New Zealand, like we've talked about, there's every chance that after this World Cup there's going to be a you know a turnover of New Zealand coaches. Yeah. Wouldn't it be amazing if we could get Stephen Fleming with Shane Bond as our bowling coach and Daniel Vittoria as our spin coach? Like all of these all of this talent is out there, but because of these franchise tournaments, we can't I don't know how New Zealand can compete with well, that and actually get them in the door. Well, you, you certainly can't have a full-time coaching staff of Vittori Bond and Stephen Fleming or Brendan McCollum. Um, Brendan McCollum for different reasons, you can't have it hands <laughs> off. Um, but look, I, I think the reality is, and you, you asked this question on Twitter and I, you know, I, I um, meant to reply from the top order and actually replied from my own um, Twitter <laughs> handle. And, and look, I said something along the lines of, you've got to offer him, which, which format do you want to focus on? You give him that format, you tell him it's, you know, 100 days of the year or whatever you let him go and do his IPL gig because I think ultimately he probably makes more money from the Fujitsu heat pump commercials <laughs> than he would from New Zealand cricket I'm being slightly facetious but you know he doesn't you know he probably doesn't need that need that money so it's what's the attractive option mm. for him to be able to do that is that a director of cricket role um, but again I think it comes down to and the other thing I'll just ask you really quickly, you've, we're in the World Test Championship final. You've made the semi-finals of the World Cup. You know, is, is he re- are you saying that you need him to go that extra little, you know, that little mile, particularly in the white ball stuff? I'm not saying, I, you know, you've heard me talk many times. I've been very positive about yeah. the, the coaching staff. Obviously, I've you know, got a personal connection to one of them, which, you know, helps that. But I, I like you said, New Zealand's had an incredible run of the way that Hessen and McCullum and then Stead and Williamson, what, what they've done that you can't, you cannot argue with the, the numbers that they've, or the results that they've put over a really long time now. Mm. It's more that, I think that that cycle is now coming to an end and we're heading to an into a cycle where we've talked about it a bit as well that that players are maybe going to start cycling around as well and and I just think that when you watch him he's, he's there's clear you know we've always we always thought that even when he was playing that he was you know we here in New Zealand always thought that you know he's the best captain in the world he's got such an intelligent mind you just want to harness that, get him into your system. Yeah, and no, just to sort of second there, I think we're closer to the to the dusk rather than the dawn. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. So I think uh, we're at the moment in terms of our, our our life cycle, and we need to look at what we do for the future. Um, but you hit it on the na- the nail on the head there. It's actually not necessarily about money; it's more about time. Like when we had um, Bondi on the on the show a couple of years back. He said he spent two hundred and something days mm. away from home. Mm. You know, it's just, it's just why? Why would you do that when you can get the same amount or maybe even more for mm. six, eight weeks' work um, in India? And, and yeah. if we can break that down into the formats and 
you know, present a package yeah. like that. I think, yeah, I think that the package that you present to Stephen Fleming has got to be along the kind of lines of the Japanese kind of ikigai quadrants of 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 satisfaction, right? Like, so really quickly, please carry on. Ikigai is things you love, things you're good at, things you paid for, and things that that kind of benefit stuff. And I don't think New Zealand are going to win Stephen Fleming by appealing to his sense of things you get paid for because he can get paid far better yep. elsewhere. And I think, you know, generally speaking for for all cricket fans out there, if you think that you can appeal to players to play international cricket going forward by appealing to their sense of financial benefit, mm-hmm. those days are gone. They are over. We are done with that. If, like full-time contracts, IPL contracts have put that to bed immediately. You want someone to play for New Zealand going forward? The next generation of Devon Conways have to be sold to by their national body on something other than money. And so that either has to be loyalty to the badge, the, the concept of the black cap, something they stand for, um, the love of the game, which could appeal to Stephen Fleming, and how does he help create a legacy for New Zealand cricket? Yeah, yeah, some kind of achievement, right? Mm. Can you help us win a World Cup for the first time? Those are the things that I think will potentially appeal to Stephen Fleming going forward. It can't be about money. It has to be about one of those things. And creation of value for New Zealand, for basically every every nation other than India going forward, for players and coaches alike, have to be about establishing a culture having some sense of value in the, in the jersey and, and pride in the jersey and and being able to create a legacy because that's the only thing that they've got left. Well, And I think to round out that point, I, I think that my, re, the CEO appointment for New Zealand Cricket is, is going to be really, really important mm-hmm. in that we need someone that's going to be forward-thinking in that yep. way because this, we've had the same conversations about players, we're having the same conversation now about coaches mm-hmm. and the, the people, you know, you've already seen the stories that Trent Bolt would love to play in the tests against Australia and South Africa next summer, we've already seen. You know, we've New Zealand contracts are about to come out. We've seen the stories. You know, maybe Neil Wagner's not going to be on that list. Or, you know, all these sort of things that they're going to have to navigate and they're going to have to figure out. Like you just said, we can't compete financially with these big franchise tournaments that aren't going away. That are going to continue to expand. How do we still get them? all of those aspects that we want and make sure that we have the right people on at the right time and be flexible enough without without incentivizing people to leave. Yep. So it's there's so many different things to navigate and I think some it's really important that they get the right person in that position. Really, really hard without a leader, without a CEO to establish a really strong vision for New Zealand cricket. Like if you had asked all four of us around this table to go away for five minutes and come back with what is the vision for New Zealand cricket, I reckon we get four different answers right now. We don't know because there's an outgoing CEO, there's an incoming CEO. We're not going to know what his vision is until he gets in and gets his feet under the table. Like these things are going to take time. And unfortunately it's going to mean a transitional period for New Zealand cricket where we kind of have to figure ourselves out a little bit again. I would have had those quadrants you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> well, look, um, the perfect place we left that was, was after your uh, Japanese philosophy, to be honest, Bordy, because that's all I'm thinking about now and how we can weave more of that mm-hmm. um, into the podcast. Um, but so we can all just regroup and maybe, what is, what's it called again? Ikigai. Ikigai, yep. If we can all harness our Ikigai, we'll be back um, after the swish to talk about England versus Ireland. 
Welcome back to the Top Order podcast. We're going to talk a little bit about England versus Ireland, the first test of the English summer. Um, I think in the Slack notes we've got, you know, is this just a warm-up for the Ashes? I mean, clearly it is, right? Um, Ooh. But... I, look, I think in terms of, you know, there's a there's a number of talking points. Um, so we've obviously got the World Test Championship final hot on its heels as well that starts the following week, which, which we'll preview next week, India versus Australia. But this game is at Lords. It's a four-day test match. Is it? Is it? It's mm. a four-day oh, test I match. Did not, I did Couldn't not read that in the Why? Why? So we'll come on to that. So you can find your, find your prep. <laughs> Um, I don't have much prep for this. So, And then I, look, I guess the, the, the second component is, you know, we talked IPL obviously before the break. A um, couple of Irish players, uh, you know, Josh Little, as, as you know, was playing in the final uh, last night for Gujarat, not mm-hmm. going to play obviously in this test match. Mm. Um, and I think they've been quite open about talking about the preference for white ball cricket. Um, so look, I, I just really wonder what this means when you've got a nation that was granted full test status, what four years ago probably I think they played uh, 2019 against England at Lords. again that was a four day test match famous for um, them rolling England for 75 yeah. Jack Leach's 90, Mertau, wasn't it? 92 opening the batting uh, for England got them back in the game and then they have played some tests on the subcontinent so three tests earlier this year Ireland away Sri Lanka and Bangladesh lost yeah. all three but I think have had you know some decent performance a couple of test hundreds for Paul Sterling and Lorcan Tucker the, the keeper yeah looks, but, looks good Lorcan but yeah what, what are our thoughts on yeah I guess that you know this is the, the curtain raiser I suppose for mm. the test match season particularly coming so hot on the hills of such exciting white ball cricket in the yeah. IPL. Yeah, I mean, the longer that England continue to underestimate Ireland, I think the more it plays into Ireland's hands, really. I think if, you know, if England go into the test match going, oh, it's a warm-up for our summer, it's a curtain raiser for the Ashes, any kind of attitude of that nature, and I'm sure that that's not the attitude that the players and the squad are taking into I the game, but so. I wouldn't have thought so either. But if there's any inkling of that in, you know, consciously or subconsciously, Ireland will take advantage of that because they'll be up for this game big time. It's it's a traditional sporting foe, um, traditional political foe, if you like. They will get up for this game big time. Like they will they will have nothing more prideful on the line than a victory in, in Test match cricket against England. So they will absolutely be up for the game. There's lots of um, exciting young players in that Ireland side. There's lots of veterans as well, some guys that are maybe more, I think, to your point earlier, Raj, that towards the dusk end of their career than the dawn. But there's some exciting players in this Ireland side and and Ireland are going to continue to improve over the course of the next three or four years. What really excites me is that the game's at Lords, that England have made a decision, given that there's a World Test Championship final and the Barky Ashes series, Australia v England this summer, to play this particular test match at Lords. I just think that's a fantastic move. It excites you. It makes me a little sad that mm. it's at Lords because I feel like the magnitude of this game, it's a test match at the home of cricket. And I feel like both sides may may, may not be prioritising it ahead of other things like the Ashes or the White Ball Cricket. Ireland have made a point of saying that, you know, their focus is on the 50-over qualification they're going to go into next next month. Yeah, uh, Little was always going to be rested for yeah. this test, mm. um, had even if he hadn't gone so deep into the, the IPL, which is, it brings me to this question for you, Binksy. Do you view this game... As a warm-up, we've, we've used that word a lot at the moment. Do you, What do you want to see? Do you want to see some runs from the top order, 20 wickets taken by the the bowlers? When I'm, and that bowling, both, both of those things. And that bowling <laughs> unit in particular. 
it's not really going to have any bearing on what that 11 is because you're going to have Anderson coming back in. You're going to have Robinson or Wood coming back in when um, they are fit and off baby duty. Yeah, look, I, I think that, you know, the reality is, and we've talked about this a hell of a lot, there's, there's less and less time now in schedules for warm-ups for you know for tours like there used to be i suppose where you, you know you've, you'd have a few county games and look i think the reality is in terms of the warm-up for the england guys you've had crawley um and docket playing uh red Bull cricket for their counties uh so for kent and nottinghamshire docket's had a pretty decent start to the season um crawley's had you know he's you know what you would expect he's had 170 he's had 90 off 13 balls and then he's had you know nicked off in the other six knocks yeah um you've had harry brook tuning up in the ipl with 100 and then bugger all else um you've had joe root mixing the gatorade and doing a bit of dancing um <laughs> and then you've had ben stokes you know ben stokes injured mark would you know he, ben stokes would get a get a medal would he yeah, well of course he will IPL um, medal um, but yeah, so look, I think in terms of the way that the teams have tuned up for this, Anderson, Broad and Robinson have actually got some overs in their legs in the in the county game as well. Jack Leach also. So I think they've kind of already done that. And I, I, if I'm being brutally honest, I think that, that, you know, the plan is now around, you know, there is a little bit of workload management because that all these test matches come very, very thick and fast. And that that's the same for Australia as well. They go almost from the World Test Championship final into a back-to-back-to-back-to-back mm-hmm. Ashes series. Yep. And England are going to go from this test a couple of weeks off with the World Test Championship final and then into that, you know, into that Ashes series. So I think, you know, the only real things to play for in this test match are who are the bowlers that might be the first, you know, the first alternates, I suppose. And if everybody's fit, you'd expect that Broad and Anderson and Robinson will line up against uh, against Australia um, in, in two or three weeks time um, it's really who's gonna you know who's gonna come in um, and and really sort of bolster those seeming stocks with Ollie Stone injured with Jofra Archer injured um, with some yeah some injury worries around Craig Overton and some of the guys that have played over the course of the last two or three years as well well, yeah, I want to get your thoughts on on Josh Tung because yeah, I knew nothing about him. But uh, before we do that, I think let, why don't we touch a little bit on Josh Little because I, I think it's fascinating and it, and I guess more around the framing of when this game is happening and and I suppose what it means and and why it is even four days. Like, I guess we have talked about a lot of the stuff already and the you know the the franchise stuff is you know taking over that Test match cricket is becoming minimised and all that stuff, but you know, we, we, from our point of view, want the game to grow, right? You want to see, we've very, we've talked a lot about trying to get different uh, nations involved in the game at the international level. And then you see this, Ireland gets a test match. Not that they're, you know, they've said Josh Little, I think there's, there's been two different lines of, of conversation around the Josh Little stuff that I've seen. I think one of them, Heinrich Milan, the you know former ACES coach who's now the coach of, of Ireland, was trying to put a really positive spin on it, saying, you know, look, what we really hope is that, you know, that massive stage of the IPL, that there's kids in Malahide running in and going, look, I want to be on that stage in front of 75,000 people at 1.30 in the morning and fireworks going off and all of that kind of stuff, and that that can be a, a really inspirational thing for, for Irish cricket. But then you think, like, is Josh Little just never going to play? Like, is he, is he just not going to feature for for Ireland? And, and if that's the case, like, are those kids, same kids in Malahide going same way that maybe like Noor Ahmad is thinking? Thinking, okay, well, my my path to being an international or being a, a cricket star 
is going is trying to play franchise cricket and it's not trying to play I don't care about playing for Ireland or I don't care about playing for Afghanistan or, or all of these things and yeah I, I don't know I, I have very mixed views about this situation and sort of feel like he should be playing in this game and I mean I, I don't know if he wants to play it's obviously it's obviously starting like whether it would even have been logistically possible but yeah I don't I don't feel good about the fact that he was always going to sit out of this game well, look, I think logistically very difficult. I, I, the biggest thing for me is clearly the qualification for them for white ball tournaments that ultimately are going to be, rightly or wrongly, we can debate this till the cows come home, 10 team tournaments. Mm. Um, that's where Ireland have really sort of probably made their name for themselves on the world yeah, stage. Yeah. And, and let's be honest, Josh Little hasn't played a test match yet. Um, I'm sure he will do. But I think he's been bowling four overs every two or three days for the last however many you know 74 games or whatever he hasn't you know he's not in a position I don't think where it would be worth the risk for Ireland cricket to potentially have him have to bowl 20 overs on the first day at Lords, come back on the second day and bowl another 15 um, and put himself in a position where he might not be able to bring the skills that he's developed in a 74 game IPL tournament um, to help his team qualify for a World Cup which I think if we're being brutally honest uh, we've talked about it um, the IPL is a bigger stage for Devon Conway than a World Test Championship win, win, uh, and also the the white ball success he's had with New Zealand, you know, reaching mm-hmm. semi-finals of, of tournaments, etc. So you've got to think that from an Ireland perspective, they're probably thinking, you know, our cup finals are those World Cup games, yeah, um, and it isn't a four-day Test match at Lords. Um, yeah, that's you know really just a you know, precursor to that you know to that English season kicking off. I think. I will just give Devin Conway a bit of credit. He did dial back that comment a bit today when he was, uh, and he said it was the best T20 win of his career, which is, is fair enough. Sort of fair enough. So England, England bald, he wants to know a little bit about tongue. I want to know your thoughts on Chris Wokes. I'm a bit disappointed that he's not in the team, but I actually think it's going to be hard for him to get into this team. I know there will be you know, people being rested and load management, etc. but an all-rounder batting at eight, I don't know if it fits into this side or not. Yeah, look, I, I think Chris Wokes, you know, he's been out f- probably for about a year now in terms of injury. He's, 14 months yeah, of his um, So you, uh, a dodgy knee. Um, look, I, I've not seen a massive amount of county cricket other than the, you know, the highlights on the streams from, from this year. A couple of, yeah, a couple of friends who have, you know, he's probably seen a little bit more cricket than me have said he's lost a little bit of nip. Um, and look, I think, you know, you look at someone like, he reminds me a little bit of Tim Bresnan, who, you know, you know, had a, was really pivotal for England for two or three years. And then he, you know, he actually had an elbow injury, I think, and lost a little bit of that nip. And all of a sudden he was a very good first class bowler. Look, so, look, I hope Wokes can, you know, find that fitness, but I think it's really, really telling that he was in the original squad for the test match and, uh, Josh Tonga's come in as a replacement into that uh, squad as ostensibly cover for Anderson and Robinson who are uh, suffering with groin and tendon niggles uh, respectively um, and has you know let frogged his way into the side so named in the side alongside Stuart Broad and, and Matthew Potts as the seeming options and unlikely I'd suggest that Stokes will bowl um, you know in, in this test match particularly as it's a four day game as well so mm. you know you, you, they're probably not going to need to bowl as many overs you would think Is this an audition for the Ashes series between Potts and Tongue? I mean Stuart Broad's obviously nailed on to, to play I would imagine 
at least in that first test, to try and win some mental battles against the Australian top order. Round, round the wicket. Round the wicket. Um, many slips in play. Is, is this, like, genuinely, is this an audition between those two to be the fifth seam option or sixth seam option? I mean, Stokes has said he wants eight, doesn't he? In yeah, the, in Brendan the... McCollum said he wants eight seamers. So I, yep. think, I think the reality is, you know, um, I might get this order slightly wrong, but I wrote this down. We've got Anderson, Broad, Robinson... Archer, Wood, Stone, Wokes, Stokes, Potts, Matthew Fisher, who played in the West Indies about 15 months ago, mm. Overton, and now Tong. So Tong on that list is probably the 11th seamer. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's now got an opportunity, as you say, probably to get himself into a position where he's the, he's the fifth seamer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, coming off, uh, look, an, an England Lions tour this winter in Sri Lanka. So uh, got a five first, so an eight wicket haul in with the unofficial test match there in Gaul. Um, he's actually from my, I didn't play with him, um, but he's from my home club back in the UK, Barnard's oh, nice. Green Cricket Club. So um, I, th- I think he's been allocated to a different, uh, a, you know, a different club within the Birmingham League, but certainly played and his brother still plays for the club as well. Um, by all accounts, a very, very gutsy cricketer. Um, so in terms of burst onto the scene, was talked about as someone that could bowl, you know, above 90 miles an hour. He's now not you know that express uh, pace su- suffered some injury concerns and actually nearly uh, was considering i believe actually retiring from cricket at the mm-hmm. age of sort of 24 25 because he just he couldn't get himself uh, couldn't get himself back fit uh, for Worcestershire so look really really good for him to be given that yeah be given that opportunity and i think you know we joked about it uh, off air he's probably bowled himself into contention it sounds like in in the nets uh, you know he's impressed whether it was a little spell at stokes or um whether mccullum got the pads on to go in and show them how to you know reverse dilshan or whatever um but yeah he's obviously impressed in that couple of days before um or maybe he's taking some money off him on the golf course we don't know i don't know whether they've had any nets yet or whether they've just been down the driving range I don't have much more to add on this series. I, I, the only other thing I would want to say is that, yeah, I, I, there's a few of those Irish boys that I'm quite keen to see. Lorcan Tucker, was who you named before, yeah, I've been very impressed with him in the, the short time that I've seen him. You know, obviously New Zealand got a bit of an, an up-close look on some of those young guys like Harry Tector and, and Lorcan Tucker in, in that white ball series yeah. that we played against them and when we were on our 15-month tour of, of Europe, uh, you know, wherever it was this time last year. Yeah, look, I think the big the big thing for Ireland cricket, and you mentioned Tim Murtagh, I think, earlier on. Mm. Um, one of the, I think the massive impacts on them is that their players now are, if you're playing for Ireland, you're actually quali- uh, classified as an overseas player in the county championship. Mm. Um, obviously, a, you know, a hangover of Brexit um, that's affected the cricketing world. So I think a lot of these guys would be playing county cricket and developing that, you know, four-day long form pedigree back in you know the 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 Bosman the EU days so that that's a really big factor I think that's probably going to inhibit um, Ireland's growth but yeah certainly looking forward to seeing those guys really looking forward to seeing Andy Balburnie as well I think he's a really really classy player mm-hmm. um, hasn't really got going in the test game yet so you know I think you know he'd be someone that would want to chalk up a couple of test hundreds to you know to add to his um, add to his one day add to his one day tours and the final thing I think you know we, we talked about it a little bit I think we broke the news that you know folks was potentially not going to play that's obviously transpired we broke the news up. well <laughs> well when, done when I say we broke the news we, we <laughs> uh, just before that news came out I think we were talking about it um, I just want to sort of say you know I think there's a lot going around around this whole what happens if Johnny Bairstow drops a catch and you know you've got to pick your best keeper 
those days have gone and, and let's be perfectly honest Johnny Burstow is a pretty decent wicketkeeper he's kept wicket since he was 13 years old uh, for Yorkshire um, he got the gloves I think harshly taken off him by Joss Butler when he was going pretty well um, I think the conversation was actually more around how did they fit that batting lineup together uh, with you know with folks and and it was I think it was probably a folks versus Crawley yeah. decision rather than a folks versus Burstow mm. decision the one worry I have is when you look at the stats, Bairstow's form batting in the second innings after having kept wicket. Um, go and look it up. He doesn't score a whole heap of runs. Yeah, it's going to be an interesting workload thing for Johnny Bairstow because you know when he was setting the world on fire previously, I don't think he I don't think he had the gloves right when he was averaging like 170 last summer and striking at 975. No, wasn't keeping, wasn't wicket. keeping wicket as well. So like that extra burden it, it, and that it, extra legwork is it, going to, it, you know, have He did have impact. a 1300 run year mm. with the gloves. Yeah, so not, not too long ago. Yeah, so, he, so he has done it, but a lot of those were first innings runs. So interesting coming back from a from an injury whether injury. or not he's got yep. Yeah, so whether or not he's got the the kind of the miles in his legs as it were to to be able to manage that workload I'm really looking forward to seeing Curtis Campfus. do you know no yeah. one asked me about who I'm looking forward to seeing from Ireland but Baldy, who are you looking forward to I'm seeing looking from forward Ireland? to seeing Curtis Campfer. 24 mm. year old fellow has burst onto the international scene you have a look at his record it doesn't look really particularly exciting I think he averaged like 70 with the ball and 30 with the bat but he can play and what about his Japanese philosophy mm. uh, strong make things happen yeah he makes stuff happen does make things happen yep has a test 100 so good, good player I like him it's in the book Awesome. Well, boys, I think that probably does wrap up uh, the podcast um, for us here. There is some uh, other test cricket or unofficial test cricket going on as well around the world. So we've got West Indies out Bangladesh um, going on. We've got obviously England, Ireland. We've got the World Test Championship coming up, which we'll preview um, on next week's show. And also look out in your feed for the Cricketing Hall of Fame as well. So plenty, plenty more coming and we'll be coming at you thick and fast with recordings throughout the course of this English summer. And Lippy will no doubt weave in some Rickerton references along the way. But well, you've got to ban that green reference. Well, I think quite legitimately because yeah, someone enough. from that club is making their test debut <laughs> not just that you know they went to Rickerton once and popped into the new world but anyway uh, on that note let's leave it here it's good night and God bless from us all here in Auckland we'll see you soon on the Top Order Podcast good night good night